0: Welcome to season three of Motivational Interviewing and Beyond. Uh, This is Joel Porter, and along with Steve Rolnick, we and Angela we um, host the webinar. Um, This first one we kicked off with "No Such Thing as a Dumb Question." Ask us anything about motivational interviewing, and we were very fortunate to have uh, Christiana Fortini from France join us, as well as Ken McMaster uh, from New Zealand, and Tiffany Pickett, um, who's up in Poland right now, came in for a little while to uh, join the conversation. Um, had quite a few really good questions, um, some good conversations. Hope you enjoy this episode, and um, please uh, share it with your colleagues, contacts, students, and anybody else who might be interested in Motivational Interviewing and Beyond. Um, yeah. nice, hey, good morning from Brisbane. Um, yeah, no, it's a nice little um, conversation with friends that we've created, and it's great that people... So, yeah. hey, Greg.
1: Right. We've hit the hour. We've hit the hour. You ready? Well, yeah, I'm ready. We're still waiting for Terry, but, you know, there might have been a misunderstanding.
0: Mm. Well, there could be. Um, yeah. I'm, I've, we'll see. She, we'll see. I messaged her and um, we'll see. All right, let's start. Shall we? Yes. And away we go. Okay, so good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Kia uh, ora from uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, welcome to yet another um Episode of Motivational Interviewing and Beyond with um, Steve and Angie and myself. Uh, today we have um, Christiana Fortini, who is in France, joining us, and hopefully Terry Moyers will be able to uh, to dial in um, when she gets here. So, I'm Joel, and I'm a psychologist in New Zealand. Been working in addictions for a long time, and um, do some training in MI. So is it enabled to, to do closed captions? I'll look into that while, um, no, Angel, have to look into that because she's hosting while we're doing introductions. So good morning, everybody. I'll pass it over to Steve. Good
1: GROVE- mor- uh, Good evening, everybody. And I'm also talking from the middle of the lake in South Wales, mm-hmm. um, incredibly stormy. And I'm a psychologist in background. And Joel and I and Ange, we tend to run these in, hopefully, a friendly and uh, stimulating environment. So welcome to you all. Um, Ange?
2: Welcome everyone. Uh, My name's Ange. I'm also based in a very stormy Cardiff at the moment. Um, I'll be monitoring the Q&A, so do pop your questions in the Q&A box. And remember, you can upvote a question. If it's a question you like, and you would like one of the panellists to answer. And I look forward to our conversation this evening.
1: And and can I introduce our invited guest, Christiana. Now she's, I know Christiana very well. She's pretty close to a sister of mine and she's going to be a little bit modest. So I can tell you you that Christiana is a multilingual. I hate to think how many languages she can speak. She's multilingual, multi-talented, and has been in and around the MI field for quite a few decades. Christiana's, hello.
3: Hi, hi, everyone. It's really good to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so I, I don't know what else to say. I'm also a psychologist, like my two brothers there. Uh, I'm working in Switzerland, living in France, but I work in Switzerland. Uh, so I cross the border every day. And I'm actually from Italy, which is a little bit down more south. Um, I've been, I'm also working in addictions right now, but training people from all sorts of um, other backgrounds as well and uh and i've been in mint and around mi since 1995 or 96 when i first met steve which was a long long time ago but it's great to be here and great to see all these names that i know and all these names that i don't know and then i'll get to meet tonight
1: yeah there's inc- there's somebody who's with an incredible introduction called ronnie from bonnie dundee i love it <laughs> love it, hello Ronnie. It's that's quite an introduction from Bonnie Dundee. Um, yeah, I used to live on on the hill there, Ronnie, but that's another story. Ange.
2: So I would like um, to invite audience members now to submit their questions. Um, you can open the Q and A box. There's a little box in box on the just the bottom of your Zoom screen. If you click on that, it will pop up with the Q&A box, pop your questions in there. But just to get us started, we have um, a question that I'd like to ask the panelists. Just to get an intro to MI. So what is, uh, what is MI and what does it mean to you? And I'd like to ask Steve this first.
1: <laughs> MI is a very simple way of structuring a conversation so that guided by compassion and curiosity you encourage someone to say for themselves why and how they might change Um, and i i think i got involved with this because for quite deeply personal reasons, and I can only say this now with the benefit of hindsight closing in on my 70s, um, I never liked aggression and anger and confrontation in my personal relationships, I think I've struggled with it all my life. So I realize now that MI gave me an avenue for being comfortable and creative, that, uh, if you like, avoided it and forged a path that that was not built around aggressive confrontation. So there you go. I feel like I'm a limited human being in that sense and that I've never really learned to deal with like the very confrontation that MI is designed to avoid. But there you go. I shan't uh, shed any more personal uh, uh, statements here, but that's, yeah, that's from my heart.
2: Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Steve. And Christiana? Um, well, for me, am I started as um uh,
3: in a pretty weird way? I was when I started off working as a very young psychologist, and I I didn't have, I mean, I came from a, a like a cotton background, protected family. I didn't have any trauma or issues. I had a you know easy, simple life until then. Um, and I started working in addictions. So I was 20 years old, started working in addictions with people who were double my age, who were, who had full of, so full of life experiences and, and difficult times that have gone ups and downs in their lives. And, and there I was saying, feeling like, what am I doing here? And what the hell am I supposed to bring these people? Cause I don't know anything about life compared to them. And then, um, my supervisor at the time said, "Why don't you go and get this training in MI? It sounds interesting." And so I did. And and when I got there, um, I realized that the only thing that made me legitimate in my work was actually the way that I could listen to these patients and um, just being there and listening to them and helping them think through things. I didn't have any answers for them, so. So MI made perfect sense to me because I didn't, like, like I said, I didn't have any answers for them, but one thing I knew how to do was to listen to them and just help, help them think things through. And that's when it clicked for me. And then everything else came after, all the more technical parts came afterwards, but that was my first, uh, my first sense of what MI
2: was and, and why it made sense to me. That was beautiful. Thank you. What you, Joe?
0: Um, what is MI to me? I guess, you know, it's interesting that the three of us all kind of entered MI through the uh, addiction and addictive behaviors field. But back in the days of the first edition, it was that MI was that alcohol and drug thing um, that people were doing. What I've, what I've come to now, I guess almost 21 years later um, what I've come to think about motivational interviewing simply is it's sort of working with people to come up with their own arguments and reasons for change instead of trying to install arguments and reasons for change into people. And and like Steve, um, you know, I was I was working as a young psychologist, therapist in drug and alcohol in the States. And the predominant way of working with people was the old breakdown, denial, rope them brand them and you know and then let them go once once they're broken and they've accepted um then i bumped then i read the mi book and the first edition and it did something with the way i thought about things it was a paradigm shifter and now um god almost 25 years later since reading the book i'm still working in the drug and alcohol industry and still pushing that boulder of how do you work with people in a more person-centered um, non-confrontational, non-consequential way. Um, and it's amazing how, um, how stuck people are in that model of not wanting to let go of perceived control. And I think motivational interviewing is a way of giving people some control back in their life, particularly folks who feel like they don't have any choices. Thank you, Joel.
2: That's wonderful. I'm just going to have a look at our questions. So thank you, thank you, audience. Um I'd like to pose the first question, and it's from um David Rosengreen. Um, why does listening matter? Who's gonna
0: take this one? I think I think um I think listening. It's funny, Dave, because I said before you could probably got on if Dave Rosengren asked a cheeky question, we're going to bring him on to answer it. Um, (laughs) And there you are right out of the gates. But I, I, you know, why does listening matter? Well, we had a, we had a podcast, we had a, we had a webinar on this a couple of years ago. And I think it's the starting point for connecting with another person is trying to understand what's going on with them. And the only way I'm going to know that is if they tell me and I listen to it. And then then I can start to make choices about how I'm going to respond. But if I go in with all these preconceived ideas about who or what or uh, who or who this person is or what they need, um, and I've never met them before, that just seems incredibly arrogant to me. Um, that based on what somebody's told me or what I've read, I can come up with a whole formulation of who they are. Um, And the other part of it is it's my favorite part of the job is listening to people and trying to understand where they're coming from and trying to join their conversation that they're having with themselves quite often. I'll pass the ball to Christiana. (laughs)
3: Well, I, the only thing that I want to add to what Joel is saying is that for me, listening is the best tool that I have to stay curious. And I, I love to stay curious. Um, I love to learn from other people. And the only way I can do that is by listening to them and by, um, yeah, by just, by meeting them in their world. So for me, listening is a way of entering the other person's world, their, their own universe, and, and trying and to see what it's like from their point of view, what their life is about, what it's like, what, how, they, you know, how, how they live through things. And only when I get a sense of that, then I can not necessarily help them navigate, but I can try and navigate with them in that world.
1: Yeah. I wonder why Dave asked this question, because I, I bet he firmly believes it matters. And I think Joel and Christiana have clarified this. What's noticeable about what you both just said is that listening for you is not just a technique, it's an attitude, if you like, that embraces curiosity and compassion. Um, But there's something that's been worrying me a little bit over the years in the MI field, which is that if you ask Terry what listening is, and we're hoping she'll come and be joining us soon, uh, she and Bill Miller often zoom straight into the technique of reflective listening. As that's the real, that's the real technique for listening. And I've been worrying about this because it's sometimes quite difficult for people to develop skillfulness in it. And I'm, I'm, I'm wonder, I sometimes wonder if somebody has the attitude of, of wanting to listen and is caring, compassionate, and curious, um, and asks questions that are emanate from that attitude, is it really important for them to know how to use reflective listening? Obviously if they do, it's gonna help them a lot more, but is this a rather refined skill that is not essential for um, connecting and having better outcomes? So I raise that as a question and maybe uh, Dave Rosengren might be provoked to speak to it or somebody. But anyway, that's something that does worry me because I teach. Sports coaches and school teachers, and I noticed this difficulty. There you go. See what people think.
2: All right. On to the next question. So we have a question from. Thank you, Sandy. And she's put to the panel. I know things get bigger the closer we look at them, but do you think MI is becoming unwieldy? Losing that idea of simple conversation, or is it just what academics have done to it and it's not necessarily relevant to teaching and practice? In brief, I suppose I'm asking, can we still disseminate it in a simple form?
0: Wow, what a great question. I remember a couple of years ago at a Mint Forum, I wanted to do a, probably about four years ago, I wanted to do a, a, a talk on Will the Real MI Please Stand Up? Because it seemed like it had turned into very different things for different settings. There was, you know, people like me who think about an MI session of 45 minutes to an hour, and other people doing five, 10 minute MI. And I always wondered, what are they doing there? Well, how can you call that MI in five minutes? Um, and I've wondered the same thing, Sandy, and I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I have the the answer to that. But what, what I've noticed over the years, and obviously Steve is is and Christiana, who's been around MI for a long time as well too, you know, would have a, would have an idea. But what I see is MI sort of if MI is a paintbrush, it, it used to be really narrow. If you look at the subtitle for the first. Um, Addition, which was, you know, preparing people to change addictive behaviors. And then the third edition, that paintbrush has widened to cover a lot more ground about just helping people change. And I think in the process of that, some of the things that I thought about motivational interviewing and the way I do motivational interviewing have probably changed a little bit. You know, like, like, like a few other people, you know, I don't just focus on change talk. And that's not all MI is about for me. Um, it's just a byproduct of having a good relationship with people and knowing how to, how to express that empathy in a, in a way to guide the conversation uh, towards that and give person the opportunity to talk about change. Um, so I'll be interested to see where to from here as well. And I, and I know that a lot of the MI that people practice day to day in their jobs, like me, is It's very different than um, what might happen in a clinical trial because it might just come up in the middle of a conversation. I don't assume everybody I sit down and talk to I'm going to do motivational interviewing with. So I'll pause right there. I need to step out and do do my quick run to my son's school and I'll be back in about 15 minutes. Thanks, Joe. Christiana.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to uh, the first years as a trainer when I remember wanting to cram everything about MI in my in my training session, whether it was half a day or a day or three days, I just had to get everything across. And um, I actually remember having a conversation with Rick about that one day because I was I had to train dentists, I think, in one, in one day. And I, and I was asking him, well, can you give me a hand in trying to come up with a program? And, and so he said, well, what do you have in plan right now? And so I gave him like everything. And I was supposed to do in one day, every th- possible little thing that actually fits into MI. And then he said, uh-huh, <laughs> what do you think about that? And I said, well, I don't think it's gonna be possible. And I've, and I've learned since to actually make it more simple. So the concepts of MI is actually getting wider, like Joel is saying, um, but the way we teach it, it seems to me that we can make it, sometimes make it more simple instead of making it more complicated. And, and if we can just get a few ideas across, then it's a good start for many people. And if they want to go further, into their learning, then there's always ways of doing that, but um, I don't know if I'm answering the question here, or if I'm completely off topic, but that's what came to mind when I I heard that question.
1: Yeah, you are, you know, it's exactly, mirrors my experience. First time I ever trained people in 1989 and 1991, I used to start a workshop by filling the board with everything I knew about MI, as if that was really important, that all this detail and complexity needed to be up there. And I think Sandy's question is, is a super one because we know that the more complex we make something, the more unwieldy, to use Sandy's word, it starts to feel. Um, I feel very um, inspired by my experiences in sport. And for example, the famous saying of Johan Kreif, the Barcelona football club coach who said, playing soccer is a simple game and playing simple soccer is one of the hardest things to do.
4: Mm.
1: So at the front end, it is important to clarify and distill what the simple elements are, knowing that there's depth behind. And I think that might mirror actually the best way to practice MI itself. In other words, to keep this conversation simple like a a beautiful game of soccer where your agility is used to create space for that to be filled by the person sitting in front of you and your own humility and curiosity (sighs) about what they're saying and what they might say next and therefore what might or might not be a useful thing for you to say. And I'm repeatedly coming across in sport, the importance of getting out of athletes and players way while they are given the space to express and encourage themselves. And I think that mirrors MI itself. So Sandy, I think the psychologists have fallen into that trap of, of overcomplicating things. I think the depth is useful. It's useful to have that background, deeper specialist knowledge because, you know, for example, it probably does matter in a double sided reflection which way around you put the reflection. It does matter. And it's a great example of a bit of complex depth that is there for people to learn when they want to. But at the front end, Sandy, I think it's important to present and teach MI exactly as Christiana has said. And um, (coughs) Bill Miller and and I are now in trouble with the fourth edition of the MI textbook because we are guided precisely by your sentiments, Andy. And we're in trouble because we've written most of the book and it's about a third of the length that the publishers want. And so they cross with us. So (laughs) there you go. We're We're following the wisdom of what you're saying. Sandy, that if, 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 if something is really worthwhile, you should be able to say it simply. Um, so I couldn't agree more with you, but it doesn't mean there isn't a value in some of the complexity behind. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's helpful.
2: Well, that was great. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Christiana. So let's see which questions have been upvoted. Okay, we've um, got one from um, Ped Pedmanson. So apologies if I didn't pronounce your name um, correctly, play And he's asked, or she's asked, could MI work for behaviour maintenance in addition to initiating behaviour change? For example, helping someone who has already started exercising to find a more meaningful reason that is linked with their values. If they started for more, um, Ex- extrinsic reasons, for instance. So how can someone who's already started exercising to find a more meaningful reason that is linked with their values?
3: Yeah, I think the answer is in the question, <laughs> I would say. I would say, yes, it, it's totally possible and meaningful. Um, that's what, for me, that's what MI is about. People might start making changes in their life um, because of X or Y or Y reasons, but then the whole work that we do with them is trying to get them to own it and to make sense for themselves. Um, and to find that, that meaning um, for me, that's, I think that's what I aim when I work with a patient is trying to find that meaning for them. And then everything seems to fall in place from that, even though it might be difficult and there can be obstacles, but finding that meaning um, is what gives meaning <laughs> to these sessions, I think. Um,
1: yeah, when we started with MI, we were, we were first cousins with the stage as a change model. And in those days, we we, we, had this rather simple linear idea about change that it was you go through these stages and then you make the change and the most important role for MI is to sort of prepare someone for change and almost carrying this assumption that once they would made the change everything was fine well I think we've learned a lot and um, that's a journey it's not linear it's circular it people go backwards and forwards so just because someone's changed their behavior, uh, you know, I'm working with a someone with a serious drinking problem at the moment, she's sober this morning. Um, I'm changing the identity a bit. Um, made the change, but I don't experience any change inside me in the way that I speak with her, whether she's changed, relapsed, lapsed, whatever. Um, because the the, the focus is upon why it is important for her to change, where she'd like to go, and how she might get there. Um, So I hope that's helpful.
2: That's perfect. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for your questions, everyone. Keep them coming in the Q&A box. It's a little easier to um, just to monitor rather than the chat box. Mm. Okay, another um, question which re- received two upvotes is from Rebecca Linda and she says, hi, there is, there is now many different directions in MI such as, am I for social work? Am I for suicide prevention? Am I for ADHD, autism, et cetera? Is, am I always, am I independent of the adjustments that is being made for the population, the direction targets? Thank you. So is, am I always, am I independent of the adjustments that is being made for the population, the direction targets?
1: Yeah, Christiana, shall I?
2: Yeah, go for it.
1: I think so i think so in my it is a way of having a conversation about change and the essence of it should carry across whatever the type of change is involved even though one might and probably should make adjustments according to the needs of the person you're speaking to but if you think about it like this that not just an MI, but if you're trying to be helpful with someone, it's not the label that's necessarily a useful starting point. In fact, the label you might say narrows your gaze and narrows your attention into less helpful terrain. So how's about this? It's a person first, and it's a person with strengths, dreams, and aspirations who likes to be heard and feel cared for, and who likes to have choice. Whether that's a cricketer in a practice net or somebody with a severe neurological problem, what difference does it make? So if, if we start with, with, upon that foundation, then yeah, MI is independent of whatever the label that people attach, get attached to them probably. But that doesn't mean you ignore the particular dilemma that they are faced with and and make adjustments. For example, I got presented today by a coach who says, yeah, but what about with a 14-year-old? Well, of course, of course, it's still a person with dreams and strengths and wants to be cared for. But the way you would speak to that person might be adjusted to the fact that they're 14. I don't know if that's helpful. Give us some feedback in the chat column as well if you think something was helpful say so christiana one day, if you
3: well uh, not uh, just going forward from what you're saying it sometimes i get um i do have people saying well it, it won't work with the people that i see because they're like this or they're like that um and and it, it feels to me like everybody wherever they're at and whoever they are deserve the same level of attention and curiosity and just being taken into consideration. And then you do that with who you are and with who the person is, and it doesn't really matter what kind of change you're talking about and what your background is. Um, If you have that specific curious attention towards the other person, then um, I think that's what will help them Understand more who they are and where they want to go, and who they want to be, and sh- how they can get there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Um, I've got an interesting, interesting question from Marsha Benz, and Marsha says a few trainers I've seen use praise during trainings. I struggle with it myself. Sometimes I can make a reasonable affirmation to the participant sometimes praise seems more appropriate, like that was excellent re- an excellent reflection because. Sometimes it would sound weird to give an affirmation in that moment. What do you all think?
1: Great right one.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> that's
1: a fantastic one.
0: In the training context, um, or I guess, I guess we'll start there. Well, um, the, this is an ongoing... Discussion and motivational interviewing, um, isn't it? Around around affirmation and praise, and and when which one is which, and and what do you do? When do you do it? How do you do it? Do you say? uh, Do you put an I statement in there if you're giving an affirmation? I think in general, as 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 people, at least the you know the worlds that I live in, we're really quick to look at what we're not doing right or be self-critical more than we are to give ourselves a break or, or, or notice the things that we are doing right. I know that I can be the, the, the hardest judge on myself than anybody else can. And I think in a training situation, it's really important when people are learning a new skill that they're getting some form of positive reinforcement, whether that's feedback from the uh the person they're working with in the exercise or if i'm if i over if i hear them and i'm listening to what they're doing and it's and it's going really well i like to comment positively on that and and give them specific feedback on what i thought they were doing well i think i think one of the things with affirmations is it can get a little bit global like oh you're just fantastic at this you're wonderful at it and you know, and that, that might be kind of true, but I think it needs to be very focused on what it is you're wanting to give some sort of affirmation or acknowledgement of. Praise and affirmation, I don't know. There's a, I'm sure there's a difference in there somewhere, but is it a difference that actually makes a difference? I'm sure Alan Zukoff would say that it would.
3: Well, there probably is a difference in in the way it's worded. Maybe maybe the message that what you want to get across might be similar, but the way it's worded is probably different between praise and affirmation. Um, although sometimes like if I try to translate the word affirmation and the word praise into French, it's difficult because you don't always get the same the, the correct word to say it in another language. So that can become tricky in training is how do you teach it? How do you teach affirmation when that actually that word doesn't really exist in, in some languages? So it's different. You'll have to choose a different word, which is sort of that, but not really. But um, that said, <laughs> for me, I think whatever it is that you want to reinforce, as long as it's authentic, whether it comes out as a praise or it comes out as an affirmation in training, then I think it can be really powerful. Um, It just has, you know, sometimes it'll just come out from the heart and if it comes from the heart, even if it's a little bit too over the top, but the other person will feel that it comes from the heart and then it'll be received in the proper way. If it's artificial, then it won't won't go over well, I think.
1: Uh, Thank you. Yeah. And I see Richmond Stasis saying, Prails, praise feels judgy, more about me, and affirmations more about them. Um, and I think, I guess Richmond and I, and the folks who've also been in and around sport and education, know that um, it is often used that way um it's it's and Bill Miller and I don't agree about this we also struggle Christiana to work out where the concept of affirmation came from and he said it was me that brought it to the first edition and I said it was him (laughs) Um, we don't really know to be honest but praise can if used um thoughtlessly can become a habit in which you top down uh um effectively pass judgment on someone's behavior, which carries the implication that if they don't behave well, then there's other consequences like mm-hmm. or absence of attention. So, you know, I, I take Richmond's point, and I tend to agree with him. And it's me that has kind of polarized this, I know, in these discussions, saying affirmations almost, as Alan zakop would say, looking up to somebody and 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 shining a light on something that's already inside them that's for them to take ownership of. So, um, I feel that your point about authenticity is really important, Christiana. You know, in answer to the person who asked the question, be yourself. Be yourself and don't fret about whether it's praise or affirmation because if it's coming from a good place in your heart, it's going to be fine. But it is used, praise is used as is habitually in education, probably the most and sport as well and in home. And... Um, I, I worry about it, and so I much prefer to encourage, uh, mm-hmm. you know, pa- parents, teachers, and sports coaches and therapists to consider the difference between that sort of polarized praise versus affirmation, even though they're probably on a continuum, and and most most of the stuff is in the messy middle somewhere.
3: Mm-hmm. It feels like affirmation can be more powerful. This is sometimes, again, in trainings, when it's interesting when somebody um, gives praise to another participant, maybe after uh, an exercise or after a a role play, and then you try and say, okay, well, what is it that you feel this person had in their gut that made it possible for them to do what they did or to say what they said? And, And that's when the affirmation comes out. And then, mm-hmm. and then you just compare the two and you say to the person who receives it, you can ask them, so which one felt yeah. more powerful? And usually it's the affirmation that feels more powerful.
1: And have a look at Ola's comment in um, the chat box because that's, that's you know.
0: I, also Having, think that, I was just going to gonna say, I also think the, the, the context and the type of relationship you have with the person makes a difference as I'm going through my, as I'm thinking through this, I'm thinking, well, if I'm just meeting somebody for the first time, giving them praise might be inappropriate because I don't really know the person and it might feel judgy and it might feel uh, patronizing at the same time. Whereas an affirmation comes from a different place and is it, and probably more aligned with with wanting to acknowledge the effort or what the energy somebody's putting into something the other thing about that is a lot of people have a hard time accepting affirmations and praise too because they don't they don't get a lot of it in their life or they maybe they never have and so it can feel uncomfortable to them as well
1: mm-hmm. i'll tell you something we'd probably all agree on is that in the absence of a quality relationship, either praise, particularly praise, but also affirmation is probably not going to hit the mark and feel particularly useful. And if you have a quality relationship with somebody, affirmation I, I feel is probably usually more powerful, but actually praise is also in the, in the presence of, of a quality relationship. Praise can have real meaning and value I think what what is disturbing about, for example, Ola's story is in the absence of good connection, praise being used is like confetti and it just drips off the person and and it has no little impact.
4: Yeah.
0: Like if, If I were to do like a training with either you or Christiana and you were to give me some feedback and it came in the form of praise, it would mean a lot to me because I've known you for so long and I have so much respect for you both. Yeah. You know, as yeah. opposed to somebody I didn't really know, you know, it'd be like, okay, well that's that's gonna I think that's what I was trying to say. And you know, I was trying to figure out how that would work in my life. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right, next question.
2: Brilliant. Thanks, guys. So let's um ha- it, let's go back to the theme of listening. And Kemet Master has asked, how do you maintain deep listening? Listening for what is unspoken, but present. So how do we maintain deep listening? Listening for what is unspoken, but present. Who wants to take that one? (laughs) (laughs) One
3: one thing that maybe I I can jump in here if that's okay with you guys, just quickly. Um, One thing that comes to mind is that, um, oh, how, can, how can I say this? When I, when I listen to somebody or the way I try to teach it to people is that if, when you're in a conversation with somebody, there's different things that can go through your head. You can either think, what am I going to say next? So you're listening, sort of listening to the other person, but then you're more focused on what is it that I'm going to be able to reply to this person, what am I going to be able to say, what question am I going to ask, and when I do that I'm not listening quite as much, and I, and I put a lot of pressure on myself, because I'm This is me in a mindset where I have to do something and I have to be efficient and I have to be professional. And so it puts a lot of pressure on me and it stops me from really listening. And one thing that I found was really useful is that when you're having a conversation with somebody is really getting rid of all of that in your head and and just focusing on what is this other person saying to me and what are they trying to tell me? And for me, that's how you maintain that deep listening is you keep you keep focused on the other person and you keep asking yourself, "What is it that this person is trying to tell me?" Um, and it's like you become a an almost an investigator trying to figure out what is this person trying to tell me um, And even what are they trying to tell me that they're not really saying, but what's behind that and and um, that curiosity that we talked about in the beginning, that is what helps you never stop um, in that in that process.
1: That's wonderful. And I, I have nothing to add to that. That's going to be of any substance. I thought that was beautiful. The other thought I had was that um, it would be wonderful to hear what Ken himself says about this. because. Mm. Of the people I know who are here, um, Ken's got that quality himself when you talk to him. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I've had long conversations with Ken and he listens very deeply. Yeah. Um, and we're more and more invited. Ken, if you want to jump on, I'll send you an invitation. Can you do that? Um, Can you do that? See if Ken wants to
1: come. Ken, something prompted you to ask that question. And
0: I wonder what it was. So while well, while we're waiting for that, you know what immediately came in the middle of my head, and I've brought it up before, is you in Melbourne giving a talk, Steve, going, We got I gotta do we have to do something with the clutter in our head. You know? And Christiana, I think you just so eloquently touched to that, which is I gotta find a way to take my, myself out of the conversation so I can totally focus and listen to the other person and, and really try to understand what they're saying. Um, yeah. And you know, some days I can do it better than others.
1: Yeah, totally. And you know? Brian, Brian is asking in the chat column, is he the only person who doesn't know who Ken is? No, most people don't know who Ken is, but our hope is that Ken's gonna come online. Okay, Vince, cool it. There you go. A... You don't know who he is? There he is. Kia <laughs>
0: sure
1: ora, Ken. Hello. Ken, thank you so much for coming on. S- something prompted you. To, by all means, tell us, tell the folk who you are, Ken. But, and then could you, what was that question about?
5: Yeah, look, it's, uh, who am I? Um, uh, Ken McMaster, um, from Ototahi, Christchurch, New Zealand, um, social worker. I tend to, I've worked in the family violence and criminal justice area for a long time. I guess what prompts the question, Steve, I think is we often come into these settings with our own assumptions. And, and, and I love that someone in the chat said, um, and I think when we think about, you know, who sits in our often in these spaces, we are talking about a significant degree of trauma. And so I think about that question of what's your story? And so the behavior that we see in the room often is an just, just the, the, that stuff coming through, the lack of trust, uh, the experience, of, and someone said before around affirmation, well, you know, of course, if, I, if, I've, if I've been slapped down four times for every time I get praised, which is the story of often people with uh, coming from a really tough background. Why would I trust your affirmation? Why would I trust your praise? So you're absolutely spot on. Um, so I'm, I was interested in that, that idea of, of how do we maintain ourselves, because this is actually with, with a population that are going to be tough for us, but that's okay, because that's their job. But how do we actually stay in that space of saying, what sits behind how you are with me today? And, and I like, Christina, what you were saying, Christina, what you were saying, um, that idea of how do we listen deeply. So i mentioned this idea of deep listening because we think that from a cultural frame as well. It's around, and that idea of social empathy. And I think that's, I'm increasingly interested in this idea of how do I understand you from your world? And, and that's not just personal empathy. It's about social empathy. It's about the story that comes over time in terms of how you have got to be in this place, so I've, I've been playing with those kind of ideas, which is I don't know, it's it's, uh, it's it's intriguing to me at the moment. So yeah,
0: you're muted, Steve. Sorry, Ken.
1: And and Christiana alluded to this in I thought a beautiful way. She described what's going through her mind and how she tries to focus and what about you ken when you if you're trying to really listen to someone's story what what have you found useful
5: to listen well, to well, I was, yeah well, i think christiana said it really well It, it removes the clutter and and I think that's probably in am learning when we're training people particularly, I think it's this idea I'm so focused on what I'm going to ask next right, and I think that's often the anxiety that will I will I get this wrong rather than actually just sitting into the conversation, and and, and again you know when we think about uh, discord from an MI perspective, I always say in my field of practice. Just called walks in the room, <laughs> you know, because someone's mandated to come and see people like ourselves. So, you know, this we've got to find a way to bridge and sit. We bring our own baggage in a way. I always say we bring our own kind of backpacks of stuff into the room. How do we How do we find that space in the middle? I guess that's the MI gift in some ways. We we sit and we try and navigate for that space. So, you know, one of the questions, one of the rulers I use. Uh, it is on a scale of one to ten. How open can you be with me about what goes on in your life? You know what's what's happening right now. You know, so I'm really inviting that sense of that's relational work. That's kind of can you trust me with your story? Yeah. And and finding that and taking a lot of time over that that space, so we can actually go to a place of depth. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I remember when years ago tiffany you might remember this i know you're in the audience that we were having a um a conference in auckland and i believe linda sabell was there and and we were talking and one of the Maori participants said you know one of the things that from a cultural perspective it's important to do is to listen with your eyes and see with your ears now, I've been pondering that for about 15 years, like a like a Zen coin. <laughs> and, and I'm starting to kind of understand what that is, which is to use all your senses to better understand what's going on, not just rely on what's on the surface.
3: Isn't there, um, a, I think it's a Chinese character for the word listen that actually... Uh, contains the ears and heart and eyes, I think, and that put together means listen. Oh, thought so that was interesting.
1: Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, Ken, do feel free to stay with us as we trot through questions. It's lovely to have you, honestly. And, uh, Ange, what about moving on to another question?
2: Sure. So this question's got four votes and it's from Harry Zula. So thank you, Harry. And Harry um, puts it to the panel. Marking 10 years since Bill presented a forum plenary on MI and social justice, I among a number of Minties interested in using MI for civil engagement to help those living in polarized societies in many different cultures, find a path to the kind of respectful dialogue that has become increasingly scarce. In your view, is MI a good tool for helping people find common cause to address problems of climate change, pandemics, income inequality, and more?
0: I'll just add, Harry, the um, International Conference on Motivational Interviewing that's going to be coming up um, later this year, that's one of the uh, the streams that we're looking at. Um, just just to let everybody know but i'll I'll let other folks start answering that question before i do
1: christiana no
3: i think i'll let you
0: answer
1: this one okay Ken. okay
0: i have some thoughts about it for sure i always do but steve you go first harry um MI
1: is simply a way of having a constructive conversation with somebody about change. And it, it, it's conceived in that kind of helping relationship in which one person, if you like, is a helper and the other person is receiving help. Mm. Um, and you're asking whether that can be used in conversations where is there clarity about a role? Distinction is, is a question I would ask. So if Harry, you are interested in, a, in me helping you through a conversation about climate change, I can go, okay, I MI is useful here. In the absence of clarity about role, it then comes down to who's 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 responsible or helping someone clarify a path ahead for them. And it, 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 I, I find myself getting a little bit confused there, even though there's tremendous value in listening across a divide. There's no question about that. And, and MI is is one of a number of forms of compassionate listening, listening which I'm sure many of us would feel oh my word if only that could be taking place in all sorts of political and other arenas it would be wonderful but MI's special place isn't only about listening it's a conversation about change and i'm wondering whether so i, I can only say i'm a bit confused about that harry and um, because of the lack of role clarity
4: mm.
1: a- and the fact that that MI isn't just a way of listening to people, despite the tremendous beauty of, of, of what Ken and Christiana have said about deep listening, The deep listening is used for a purpose. In, 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 in Ken's description, his commitment is to the well-being and growth and freedom of this person from what's held them back. And that, that's his commitment. But in a conversation about climate change, Ken has his view. I have my view. What are we saying? Where's MI? We can listen to each other. We might disagree. We can listen to each other and it'll help. But I can't see where MI comes into it.
5: Can I add into the mix here, Steve? Because because I I think in some ways, a lot of the work when I started, golly, 40 years ago now in this space, was really about social justice. And so, from a kind of social justice perspective, I think it is bringing—it's not just an individual voice into the conversation. This is what I want to do, but actually putting me in context. So, what's the context I'm now operating in? So, if I think about sort of family harm, family violence, for example, there's a context of other people. What I do counts, and and, and everything has a has a has a outcome in terms of lateral behaviour. So if I am being highly respectful in my interaction, then it actually reduces the risk of someone going out of a session and being then the risk of being using lateral behavior on somebody else. So, so what I do does count and how I do it does count. And so I think often, and from a social justice perspective, this, I think this is a tension very much: is how do we hold these different these different positions? That actually, I'm often holding the position of of a partner and maybe children, who are at risk of harm, depending on what I do or don't do. So, you know, there's there's a there's a kind of ethical responsibility in there somewhere too, of holding that tension, uh, and 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 certainly trying to get behaviour change. That's, golly, that's the, that's the essence of. Uh, what we do so I think it's interesting to think about that so where I've got to in my practice is thinking about how do we bring those other conversations into this conversation so it's not get so I'll get away from argument it's not an argument between me it's actually a positioning around what's my position in terms of for example we might take a value proposition around family well-being so what, what's your value position around that so so is this something that's important to you or is it something that's not important to you? you know so if it's not important to you be really upfront about that and, and take a position and save your family look I, I i don't i'm not interested in how safe you are but if that is a value proposition say actually well-being of people in my life is important then then and then how do i how do i take that into account rather than just from a personal i don't want to do this type position so i don't know if that that helps but mm-hmm. so from a social justice perspective i think we do he I mean, does have the ability To to um, put us in context, and that context and the initial context is 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 personal. It's in family. It's in our communities. It's in our wider societies. Maybe futuristic. I don't know. Mm.
0: Mm. I think the. um, I, I think. I think the. The starting point for people that are in polarized positions is being able to have a conversation and experience with each other that doesn't end up being like every other experience that they've had when this topic has come up. I think that translates to working with people with drug and alcohol, people that have different views in climate change, people that have issues around race or any of the other social um, issues that um, a lot of countries are confronting right now. But I think the starting point is having a conversation and having a different experience of that conversation where even if I don't agree with somebody, they felt like I've listened to them and I've tried to understand. And I think in in that place, some of the skills of motivational interviewing can be incredibly helpful, particularly the spirit of MI and, and, and making sure I'm doing good You know, have a good understanding of where the person is coming from by using reflections and open-ended questions and summarizing what I've heard. I mean, that can be really helpful and sort of getting the conversation going. And maybe I'll walk away with something different to think about. But what I'll remember is I'll remember the experience of having that conversation with somebody that I disagree with. The other yeah. level is what if we both what if we both agree that, yeah, there's a huge climate problem, but we have very different opinions about what to do about it.
1: Yeah, and there's also that lovely piece that you've highlighted, Joel, which is avoiding argumentation and confrontation. And that, I mean, it's not unique to MI, but it's something that we brought to the surface. And um, I'm reminded of the work life of one of my sons who, st- specializes in addressing misinformation. And um, he reminded me of of something that apparently one of Obama's speech writers said, and uh, John Lovell, I think his name was, which is that the best response to a lie is not a fact, but a deeper truth. Um, And that's one way of expressing the value of listening to somebody
0: we, we have a lot of experience with what doesn't work right so we, it doesn't work to lecture and to argue and to yell and to engage people into violence and word or action that yeah. doesn't seem to change attitudes beliefs and behaviors too much You yeah. i get some compliance where people go well i'm just going to keep my mouth closed until i can talk about this safely right um but that's not change That's nothing like change. Um, So I I think we have to do something different. Yeah. And this is challenging because this is where MI is a little bit different because people do have personal investment in their side of the conversation, which is very different than when I sit down with a client and we're, and I don't have that kind of, I'm not trying to be right. I'm just trying to be helpful. Uh, and
1: so, you, I, I have nothing to add. Uh, Christiana, are you happy to move on? Yeah. Uh, just, just while we're in transition, um, just to highlight what Alan Zakoff is pointing out in the chat column, which is that ICMI, that Joel referred to, is the International Conference on Motivational Interviewing. And if you look a little bit higher up in the chat column, You'll see the details there that um, Alan has inserted. Someone's asking Alan, "Is it is it remote or is it in person?" Perhaps you can answer that. While Ange and I consider the next who what the next question is.
2: Well, the question that's got the most votes is from Erin, Erin Lemon, <laughs> and Erin's asking when people new to MI say they feel that they are overstepping by using reframings reframing statements, complex reflections that take a guess. Some listeners feel taking a guess at meaning sounds somewhat manipulative. How would you explain the perspective? Mm -mm. So when people new to MI say they feel they are overstepping by using reframing statements or complex reflections that take a guess, some listeners feel Taken a guess at meaning sounds somewhat manipulative how would you explain this perspective
1: christiana i can see you deep in thought
2: yeah i
3: i think what i would spontaneously do is try and have a conversation with that person just by reflecting back and then very simply and then Someone in the room at some point will say, "Hey, that's what you're doing. You're reflecting," <laughs> you know, and then just ask the person, "How did that feel?" And just get them to experience that um, maybe it doesn't feel manipulative when it's done in a certain way, and when it's done again in an authentic way.
1: Yeah, almost like you know that the, the, the problem being addressed here is is one where. For, for whatever reason, the person loses their sense of authenticity and then it feels contrived and then that can feel manipulative. And totally. Anna, you and I would both funnel our attention down to starting from a place of, of authentic curiosity and making a statement and it won't feel manipulated because it'll be obvious what the origin is, that the origin is compassionate curiosity. I think that the struggle, which we all know as trainers, is that as people are learning the skill, it feels clumsy. And in practicing the skill, they lose their authenticity. Well, that that happened to the cricketer I saw today. Footballers learning new skills, any people learning new skills, go through that, that experience of, ah, this feels awkward. And then they lose authenticity. I don't know if that's helpful.
0: I think, I think um, what you guys have said so far is, is, you know, is helpful, helpful to me. Um, I was thinking about, you know, when doing trainings, people say the sometimes reflective listening to them, it initially feels like they're being assumptive or patronizing or, or, or manipulative and, and, and I, I just got to thinking about, you know, there's a difference between an interpretation and a reflection. Right? And they can come they can come pretty close. if i'm in, if I'm interpreting somebody's behavior, I'm trying to give them some insight into what they might be doing, or thinking or how they, how their personality dynamics are are at play. Um, a reflection is different than that to me, a reflection and and a deep reflection based on the deep listening that Ken was talking about is actually, I've been really paying attention to you. And given what you've said, this feels like what might be right for you. You know, it's a hypothesis of sort. There's, there's There's not that kind of intention of trying to to change something, but it's trying to get deeper, deepen the relationship and help them get further clarification. And I do think it's it's a skill that takes time to develop, you know, and it, it just does. And you have to pass through that awkward phase and um, learning new skills to get around the other side of the learning curve. There is, there is one thing that, um works pretty well
3: but it's not it's not a trick it's just um when 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 you're in a training and you're trying to teach this reflective listening and sometimes people will say you know I can't do it it's awkward it doesn't doesn't feel right it doesn't feel authentic and again I often feel that it comes from a place of how am I going to reflect this or what am I going to say so they're trying to to construct the reflection in their head before letting it come out and every time I ask the person so what do you think this other person in front of you is just saying what what is it what what's all what's going on there what's going on with them they answer back like straight away they have it it's in there it's and and the trick is to get it from what I'm understanding in my head and actually just pausing and putting that down in words instead of trying to go to the next step which is what am I going to say Um, and that can sometimes that's helpful so that's that's one way to help them to help people learn that is um, and then you just say okay we'll say it back to the other person exactly in the same way that you said it to me
1: yeah what's the essence of what they what they're saying or feeling say it back
3: yeah and and the interesting part in that is that when i when i say you know you see you have it you you've got it it's right there all you have to do is just get the words out of your mouth but they're in your head already just get them out and then and trust yourself and that actually you can see people sort of saying oh okay i got this <laughs> and it's helpful because it makes them feel a little bit more confident and more competent in their way they're learning the skill so this is
4: one thing that I
1: found useful. Great. That's very elegant.
5: Ken. Can I add some things on, on what uh, Christiana is saying? Because I think one of the things is I think that, and you know, I like where you're going with that, Christiana, I think the idea is to be empathic for the person, right? It's the ability to put yourself in their position uh, mm-hmm. and, and consider this from their kind of story rather than actually doing an interpretation. So it's kind of, and I always say when I'm teaching, Complex reflections, particularly, because that's the hardest bit of teaching MI. I find I think that's the thing that people do least. Um, you know, people have been around a long time. We we don't tend to reflect as well. But thinking about before you think about a reflection, you know, what do you think behind that for this person? What's your hunch? What's your what? Your, and and so there's two things. One is that I say that that, that reflections are the glue to communication because a great reflection, you know, if, you, if, you, if it's accurate, you, you get me, you understand what I'm struggling with here. So it's the glue. And of course, as we know, that once the glue is there, the relationship gets sticky in a way, in a good way. You know, it means that we're going to get more depth into the conversation. The second thing I think comes back to time. Uh, it's that ability to go, you know, this is what I'm thinking here, you know, and then we're reflecting back um, this is what I think going on. So, so that's about how we deliver. It's important. And I think the other thing, too, is and in my experience, you know, and I think we've all had this, when a reflection is, is off, people go, no, it's not like that. And so, you know, I think that goes back to a very fundamental human need to be understood, yeah. So that idea that actually, if, 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 if our intent is honorable, if our intent is gentle, mm-hmm. if we're not sort of, it's coming across with the right tone, people will often you know, give us a very clear uh, pushback if it's wrong, or you'll get that kind of looking up and going, yeah, yeah, that kind of lands. And so at that point, I think giving some space, and that's the other thing probably in terms of teaching reflections, don't jump in too quickly with a question just let it sit sit, and and let the person do that wondering for self and and that actually starts to get the depth into this conversation i think right that's really lovely i'm ready
1: i'm ready for us to move on joel did you want to say something before we move on no
0: i think i think i think y'all did a fantastic job
1: and i've got a wild idea joel i don't know what you think guys um which is that we just invite a couple of people to come on, whoever would like to come on and say things towards the end. So I notice it's 10 past the hour. How about we have the wild time at 20 past the hour, Angela? Okay, Mm -hmm. and anybody who wants to come on, just identify yourself to Angela and you can say whatever you wanna say and see if you can provoke us. Uh, Ask any dumb question. There's a question that that somebody asked Angela. I don't know, I've sent you a note about it that I thought was really interesting. Did you catch it, Angela? Chad Wiley.
2: So, Chad's asking, what are the pros and what are the cons of MI?
1: I think that's brilliant.
0: What are the good and the less good things of motivational interviewing? Hmm.
1: I think it's a brilliant question. Come on. Can you can you state the question again? It's so good, it's provocative that I forgot about it because I don't want to face it.
2: <laughs> so Chad Wiley's asking, what are the pros and cons of using MI? Using MI. I,
0: I can I can think of lots of pros, and I'm gonna let that I'm gonna give that a miss. Give that a miss. Um, what
1: are the cons? Come on.
0: I think the cons are when people um, when motivational interviewing gets used as, and you guys pointed this out in 10 things MI is not, it's some sort of panacea. Some sort of what? What did you say? Panacea. This is, some, this is something that's going to f- help everybody change. Um, and so they implement motivational interviewing and everybody's supposed to do motivational interviewing and the whole thing falls over because it's motivational interviewing isn't for everybody all the time. So I think one of the cons about about motivational interviewing is thinking that you have to do it with everybody. Um, I I don't think if you're doing it, I don't I don't think if you're even if you're doing it at a in an, an inopportune time, I don't think you're going to hurt anybody. You just might not go anywhere with a warm empathic conversation.
1: Yeah. Christiana, do you want
4: um,
3: I guess for some people, a con of MI would be having to let go of some type of control in a conversation, which is also a pro, but for some people, I guess it can be a
0: con. Yeah. Can... Am I be manipulative in the wrong hands, perhaps a psychopath?
1: no, uh, Richmond, any any anything can be in the hands, if you like, of somebody who's setting out to be manipulative. I mean, am I comes from a place of genuine curiosity and compassion. And if someone doesn't grasp that, okay, well then I could say, well, that's just not am I? But to take the question seriously, I've noticed something inside myself, Cristiano. You know, you, you, we talk about, well, can I try and articulate this? I was talking to someone the other day, and I became conscious inside myself of the limitations of restraint. <laughs> because I think up until that moment in the conversations I'd had with him, I was pretty MI consistent. But I I suddenly became aware of the limitations of this patient restraint. And I felt that my relationship with him was good enough to break out of that restraint and to be very forthright. And so I said to him, I've got a suggestion. And he said, what? And I said, I want you to find one word for every week. And at the beginning of the week on Monday, I'm going to ask you what the word is for the week. And we're going to see if we agree. And that's your word for the week. Okay. Now, on any scale of MI consistency, that would not feature. Okay. And we laughed. And we've got a word for the week each week. And if he goes through a difficult time, it's a word for the day. And so it's become like a, if you like, a a marker, a guide for the two of us. Right. What's the word? But I imposed that on him. In a very strident manner. And I guess inside myself, sometimes I feel MI is just a bit too restrained for me. I would only add that I would only break out of it in the in the context of a, of, of a loving relationship.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So in that context with this person who was having a really difficult time, I felt I could break out of it because. I had their permission to to be authentic and to be myself and to follow my instinct but a limitation of mi was this kind of restrained posture which sometimes i find irritating frankly
0: Mm. yeah i agree it's it's not a philosophy of life (laughs) i think that's a con is people take something like motivational interviewing it's like i have to take this into all my interactions and you don't you can be kind and you can be respectful and you can listen, but sometimes you do need to give direction. And sometimes, you know, it's 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 a way of being with clients. But for me, it's not a way of being as a person.
4: I think a bit of it revs off on you, though. It does.
0: But I was doing a bit of that stuff before I met Motivational Interviewing. Probably,
4: yeah.
5: yeah. But I wonder if, if, if also part of it is a how we, because the person's not the problem, the person is the person, and the problem's the problem. It's the relationship the person has to the the behavior whatever. So I wonder how much it is about because I think we can still hold those really strong ethical positions around, you know, safety and well-being of others and things like that. So so really that but I think we can have those tough conversations. But I think there are times and, and we can negotiate this. But in the, I always say that that in the in a relationship you can be fairly upfront and challenging if you have a relationship. If you don't have a relationship established, then the person's going to walk. Mm-hmm. And, and and in that walking, someone's going to pay a price. It may not be us, but someone else may not p- may pay the price. So so that's why I think that, that it doesn't matter. Uh, I think we can have really robust conversations, but it's from a relational base. Totally
0: agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, morena Tiffany, my brother. It's nice to Hello, have you yeah. got an Aotearoa panel here. Um, yeah, can, Tiffany is... Tiffany's up in Auckland, and Ken and I are down south.
4: So. No, I'm in Poland, man.
0: <laughs> You're in Poland? Okay, well, yeah, I know where your heart is. Um, You're just in Thailand. Okay, well, anyway, well, welcome, Tep. It's great to see you, my friend. Um, so what was your question?
4: Um, years ago, my mother said to me, you'll always teach what you most need to know. And I've been training MI for a long time, so... I'll be forever a student. And I think something that MI has done for me is it's profoundly changed who I am. And so my question to you is, how has your journey with MI changed who you are?
0: Well, I mean, it's an interesting one. And it looked like you were I guess you were talking to all of us, but it felt like me. well, you've been on this journey with me for a long time, man, and and I think I think we've been able to have these conversations as well as Ken. Um, my um, it's an interesting thing because I like like Christiana was just saying I was trained in humanistic existential client centered therapy as a therapist, and so a lot of what we talk about in motivational interviewing was already part of how I am and it resonated with me Um, probably one of the first things that stands out about motivational interviewing is that when I, when I started training people, I never thought I'd train anybody in anything that wasn't my, on my, on my path. And I never actually in complete honesty, felt like I'd be competent to do that. Um, And so one of the things that training people in motivational interviewing has done is, is increased my own feelings of self-efficacy and competency um, and ability to, uh, to teach and to, and to work with other people in a way um, that I never knew I possibly could. Um, it's also taught me to be more patient in my conversations.
1: Yeah, John, I would say um, it's helped me to learn patience and the value of listening. But Tiffany, I've also noticed that it's reinforced a tendency in me to avoid confrontation in in my own life. And so I don't see the journey as being purely beneficial one because I think it suited me with MI to explore my softer side and be my softer side when actually I, I needed to learn other things. So I don't see MI as being the thing that has been my savior. I've learned an enormous amount through it. But it's it's I've also avoided certain things through being so focused on MI. So there you go. I mean, that's just for me personally.
5: Sure, um, Tiffany. Probably for me, it, I agree with Steve, it's about patience, but it's interesting having sort of worked in fields which are incredibly judgmental, right? Um, sexual violence, family violence, um, uh, corrections work, um, you know, in some way the, the the learning for me has been that we, you know, we can get further, we can get further with a different approach and, um, and excuse my language, when you piss someone off then that's a problem, <laughs> you make them more stuck and so there's something about that idea we have our responsibility to the well-being of our communities and, and, and you know, this from a, a cultural frame, that actually, you know, what we bring to that conversation is critically important. And if we hold the person's mana in the room, their respect for them, um they will hopefully then actually respect others and and so we are it's a for me it's a parallel kind of journey in some ways that how I am is also modeling how I, how I want them to be in their relationships with others so so it, it, it's about that contribution to a wider kind of tucky or or, or um, purpose in some ways of what we might be thinking about. Okay.
4: Super, super,
1: super! You're in brilliant form, Ken. I mean, you—it's all—it's so liquid what you're saying tonight, Ken. It's wonderful. I've been enjoying it so much. Uh, (laughs) I wonder if there's anyone else who'd like to join us and ask a question or make a comment. And does anybody come forward?
0: Stephanie, how about you? Hi. How is how is this? How was how was being on this MI journey impacted you personally?
4: Where you not. I mean, I I just reflecting on what you've all been saying. I like the the idea of um um uh, it's been really helpful in in some areas and maybe not so helpful in others. Uh, but the, the, I suppose for me, it's the Been the development of being able to uh, uh, step outside my own ego. Because wherever I go, egos, and I've got a big one, and it gives me the opportunity every once in a while, or I'm practicing MI to uh, very consciously focus on the other rather than self and for me that's been hugely beneficial and and not just a sort of that professional capacity but a, a very personal one as well and I think so for me I could say it's growing me um and in some really and, and some really good ways and I, that would be as simple as I could put it Really.
0: Well, then there's the obvious that MI has been the common denominator in a lot of significant relationships in my life, personally, not to mention the, the the four of y'all or the five of y'all on this call right now, you know, so that's been a nice thing too. It's been a nice, that's been a nice unexpected um, thing and all the people I've gotten to meet in trainings and things like that and the, the impact that they've had on my life.
4: It's, it's the love this community has for each other that
1: I really love.
0: Yeah, the the auto house is yeah. beautiful.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Do we have another one?
1: I think Ola is being too modest. We want
0: Ola. Where is she? Oh, definitely.
1: Yeah. Where are you, Ola?
0: And just send like her an invitation, and. Well, this has been great kind to of listening listen. to each other and and um, there she is, mm-hmm. and learning from each other. So then a very nice personal touch to this conversation. And I've really enjoyed the chat and what people are saying. And um, it's just a big learning experience. Do we have Orla with us? Yes, yeah, she's coming. Uh, hey, good evening, Orla. Uh, Hey all! Um, I hoped you wouldn't do this. I'm makeup
6: free.
1: I <laughs> know oh, it's really wicked, but Ola, <laughs> can you maybe introduce yourself? And can we almost leave the last few words to you? To just Ola's a, a close friend of ours, isn't? But Ola, can you introduce yourself and just reflect in whatever way you find useful?
6: Hi everyone. I'm sorry, my light isn't very good. Um, uh, So my name is Orla Adams, I am a dietitian based in South Wales and I work with um, midwives in a healthy pregnancy clinic. I have been learning MI since 2006 and a member of MINTS since 2011 and I've had the pleasure of having support from Steve and encouragement from Steve on my learning journey. Um, and I think as I listen, so I sit, sort of sit back with my camera off listening to you all tonight and just thinking about the impact that MI has had on me. And certainly I resonate with you, Tiffany, when you say about it changes, you know, that ego or, you know, being clever or smart. It's all about the person that you're sitting in front of um, And certainly your words can about the work that you do and holding the person at the centre of it Then it is about them at the end of the day and I think that's what I've taken from MI into my work. Um, I sat in clinic with a young person yesterday and I think they were shocked to be listened to. I think it took completely, they were taken by surprise, Uh, they almost didn't know what to do with it. It was really interesting watching that happen in the room And they had something to tell me and they just couldn't say the words and that was that was a tough one for me it sort of makes me realize that i can listen as hard as i can and bring them into the space with me but they have to build up some trust so i'm hoping on our next uh, appointment together that they feel ready to say what it was they were going to say um but yeah i could see that it took them by surprise
1: and so such is the widespread and devastating impact of not listening to people i feel very um proud and moved and touched to be in this position of working with people like you that's, that's. that's all I want to say (laughs) we've got to Hofpost and I think it's time for us to wish you all well and Christiana thank you I know you've had a really long day
3: Um, it was great to be here thank you so much
1: thank you for joining us and uh, to Ken and Orla and and you have to go now. Um, so you can leave us online just to chat to the remaining if people. If you
0: want to, so. Angie, if you want to make me the host, then we'll, I'll take care of it all.
1: But from this point on, uh, 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 the webinar is closed. And Joel and I will hang out for a short while. Um, and
0: you all are welcome. Orla, Ken, Christiana, you're welcome to hang out, Tip. Um,
1: and Angela, thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much, Steve, and to all the panel. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. And if you can
1: turn the recording off someone.
0: No, that's okay. Okay. Keep it recording, and we'll include it in the podcast.
1: Oh, okay. Then I won't say what I really wanted to say. Okay.
0: Well, you can. I can delete it out if it's... I was just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Oh, you're more than welcome, Anna. This has been a nice, warm session. And I'm wondering if there are any other thoughts or questions that people want to want to talk about. Or how about amongst people, Ken and Christiana and Steve, what questions have come up for you? Or Orla and Tip? Hmm.
4: That's
5: a very big question, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well you know well yeah, some way so it's interesting isn't it? that that idea of being reminded of you know w- what is it we're trying to do and um and and all i i love the way you some you went back to the original question we asked the importance of listening the importance of the person at the center i'd say the importance of them and who's in their life at the center quite frankly that in my practice anyway That's a uh, probably quite a fundamental kind of place to go. so, so that idea that we are membered, we are we are connected. so what I do, what they do, what other people in their lives do to them and all those things, you know that's the conversation in some ways, which I think is incredibly rich. And uh, if people can trust us to go there. so I mentioned this idea of I guess the question I always come back to how do we build a trusting relationship? where people will trust us to let them into their world in some ways. I think that's uh, probably the fundamental question that people have to resolve before, actually. And this, I think, what EMI does, it, it softens our entry into into that space. I think it provides a um, a way that they go, yeah, maybe I can trust this person this time, which may be a different experience to other experiences that they've had.
0: Yeah, I'm... I, um... I liked what you just said about how do we, how do we begin a conversation? And usually a lot of the conversations we begin, the person can be quite heightened emotionally, right? Because most people don't come into like a drug and alcohol service because everything's going right in their life. Um, There's something, there's something there pushing them to come see a a therapist or a dietitian or a a psychologist uh, around change. And quite often, that that something has um, have have you know they can be quite emotional or they can be quite emotionally dysregulated when they come in, and and I think the empathic nature and manner of motivational interviewing can help somebody at least initially co-regulate their emotions. That I'm not getting overwhelmed by the way you're feeling. I'm accepting you for how you're feeling not may not agree with it, but I can accept it. And I'm going to demonstrate that to you by expressing empathy to you. I think that has a calming effect on people. And if you, you can look at it through a lot of different lenses, but I often look at it through an attachment lens, which is what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to attune with the person in that genuine attuned way where they know that I'm with them. And I, I think that has its own positive feeling to it as well. I, I, um, I think that at least calms people down. Steve yeah. says, nah. No, nah, I, of-
1: nah, I, I think you're, I'm only kidding you. <laughs> yeah. I do agree with what you're saying within within the world of client and counselor and people leading troubled lives with difficult predicaments that are personal and social. I do agree, but I, you know, li- I, I, Look, I'll just tell you what happened to me this afternoon. I'm with someone who's a, a cricketer, okay? And he says he was standing in the net, and in the net next to him was another batsman, and they each had a coach at the end of the net, okay? He said he noticed that the, that the young fella next to him was in a terrible state, and the coach, two coaches were whispering about him, and the more the two coaches were whispering about him, the more badly this poor fella played and the bigger the state he got into and he put his own back to one side and said a few words through the gauze netting at the guy next to him and it transformed this young fella's experience in the space of three or four seconds and when he and I deconstructed the conversation that he had with this young fella. It had a quality of driven by curiosity, compassion, acceptance, um, and very beautiful and sensitive timing to what he said to this young person. So I could, I could elevate that conversation and extend it out and make it out to be therapeutically very powerful and have lots of depth. But look how simple that was. How very, very simple that was. And um, so I come back to this idea that being helpful is a thing of tremendous beauty and clarity and simplicity. And it doesn't, this fellow that I was speaking to has never heard of MI, has never heard of listening. He's had no training in anything. Um, He'll probably make a brilliant MI practitioner were he to be interested in it. But I thought his story said something about the capacity of human beings to be really helpful to each other. Um, And maybe this is not as complicated as we're making out, but there you go, I say that to provoke you, Joe.
0: Well, and I think, I think, one, you're right. I think it's very simple. But I also think in that brief conversation, which would be interesting to know what he said, just out of curiosity, it had an effect on the young fellow who was struggling on many different levels, I'm sure. I'm sure it had a calming effect and he was able to, he felt, you know, however he felt. And that settled him within himself or he might be, might have been able to perform better, but but I don't know that it's complicated because everything we experience has a biological effect on us. It's just how much we want to how much we want to focus on that and lose the forest through the trees is is the issue. Um, I think MI at, at the heart is a relational based therapy. Or counseling approach or style or conversation or whatever we call it these days uh, but i think it's all i think it's relational and it, it's not so much a technical thing because it because what we do from a technical perspective has a relational impact on people we're not teaching people skills
3: can i, can I not, jump in yeah please do just when i was listening to you joel before before Steve then jumped in, but when you're talking about this experience of people, patients coming in um, and being in very emotional states, and how you being able to listen to them with empathy actually makes them ground and regulate that emotional state. Sometimes I have an opposite uh, experience, which is also quite interesting, with people who come in and are very emotionally cold and they'll tell you very abruptly about some trauma that they've had in their life. Um, One of my latest situations was this woman sort of telling me in a very defiant way that her father abused her and that uh, there's nothing we can do to help her. So it's like she, she sort of came in saying, I'm here, but you're never gonna be able to do anything for me. And I'm just gonna spit this out in your face and tell you all this horrible stuff that's happened to me in my life. And you're not gonna be able to do anything about it. And really very provoking in the the way she was being. And then the, the, the fabulous experience that I have with this woman is how from one session to the next, she actually starts putting emotion into her story and now when she talks about what her father did to her, she does that with tears in her eyes or she cries. And then it's like it actually instead of just being up in her head, she's living it with with her guts and with her heart. And she's able to process it in a completely different manner.
0: So, so I, I'm not going to I'm not going to go into this because Steve will probably get up and walk out. But what you just talked through was polyvagal theory, Christiana. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
5: But I think also, Christiane, you've also she's tested you out. Can you handle sure. my story? That's all. And and you have said I can sit with you in this space. So it is now safe enough to actually let that amygdala kind of settle down a little bit. So I can now actually engage in a frontal lobe conversation with you about making sense of this stuff. And I think often I think that goes to the potty back of stuff you're talking about, John, some ways. But I think that you know we will get that, we will be tested, you know, because again you know, you won't be the first person, perhaps, I don't know, maybe you are, but you may not be the first person that this woman has talked to. And so mm-hmm. she needs to, to check us out. She's checking you out. You know, can you yeah. handle it? And I think that's what that process is about. So yeah. once she knows that you, you, you can hold that space. And I think that's what he might can do. If we can hold the space
4: mm-hmm. and
5: not be frightened ourselves, then, then it, it, it helps people to then be able to join us. And I think that's a lot of the process of, of connection and like we might call that creating a therapeutic alliance. I think that's mm-hmm. the heart of it really in some ways. So, yeah. I have to leave at this point. I'm sorry to leave the conversation, but I've got some things I need to attend to. So I thanks so much for no the invitation yeah. to join you this morning and Joel, I'll see you later this afternoon.
0: All right, I'll see you. Thank okay. <laughs> you. Bye,
5: Ken.
1: Thank you, Ken. Thank you
5: so much. Pleasure. Pleasure, that's Steve. I'm um, oh, pleased you, you. That's a Tonga. That's, a, that's a, a very important part of our kind of Ponamu in South Island. We are the Greenstone Island, right, Tiffany? So um, yeah, that was right. traded. Of course, that was one of the, the um, things that were traded heavily from the South. And um, so it has special meaning. And I was really pleased to share some of that with you when you came and. there. Uh, Spend time with us. So <laughs> thank you. I treasure it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye.
1: Right.
0: Um all right.
1: Polyvagal theory. Vince. I was yeah. this Vince guy, Polyvagal Theory and M I.
0: I think it's a broader conversation, but um, I think we, I think when we get them around to looking at MI and other things, we could, we could look at things, other theories like self-determination theory, other theories that, that might, might blend well with motivational interviewing.
1: That's a brilliant idea, Joel. We have, Mm -hmm.
0: we have a session on MI and other
1: forms of helping and, and, Vince, I was just teasing you um, because I've just never heard of polyvagal theory. It just sounds outrageous to me.
0: But, But you know, Steve, that's one of the things that you said that has been a kind of a downside of it, but being so focused on MI all these years, I realized how much I missed because I put my attention towards training and understanding and developing motivational interviewing practice. And, um, you know, there's only so much time in the day. And so, you know, I hear people talk about things and I'm like, wow, I missed that. Is that a thing? You know, and they go, yeah, it has been for about 15 years.
1: Shocking. It's a great point. It's a downside of MI, definitely. It's a downside of any school of therapy, actually, is that adherents and proponents, so to speak, get blinkered. Right.
0: All right. Orla, is there anything that you'd like to add? What you've been thinking about or what's been on your mind lately?
6: I think I'm getting my head into the world of sport and coaching a bit more because of Steve. (laughs) And so it's interesting as I put that comment in about my son and the different coaches that he's been experiencing um, and notice the impact they've had on him. It's just been fascinating for me to see different coaching styles, some that sit with MI, and I think it's, it's in them anyway. But, yeah, that's been quite interesting, and that's quite a shift out of healthcare. You know, I've been very focused on MI and healthcare and dietetics and, um, and yeah. change from that side, but now I'm shifting my thinking a bit and, and thinking outside the healthcare box a bit.
1: Mm. Yeah, but healthcare practitioners like sports coaches are trying to help people mm. develop and grow, eh? yeah amazing
0: okay all right well how about we um we call it a day or a, night or a morning yeah yeah well, well i hope terry's all right i'm sure we'll hear from her um and i'll check in with her to make sure she's okay and someone's saying
1: I look like Captain Picard from Star Trek. <laughs> Some, you do, guys. Mike Porteous, bye-bye. Lovely to know you've been with us. And all the best, everybody. I think it's time to head off. And
0: Okay. Well, yeah. we'll just go yeah. ahead and close it down. And we'll just say, um, Christiana, Orla, Tip, thank mm-hmm. you so much for, for jumping in and coming on board and joining the conversation. Um, we will... Um, be putting out next month's topic pretty quick, and Mm -hmm. we'll look forward to seeing everybody. Oh, and also I just want to say thank you for anyone who filled out my little survey about where to from here in 2022. We found that incredibly helpful in terms of coming up with some ideas for future conversations. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. And that's it. So I'll see you all. Bye, big man. Bye, everyone,
3: everyone. Bye. 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 Bye -bye. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: Tip.
4: Ribby Poo-Bah, a A yee-haw bookum.